I got a heart like Bethlehem on a silent night. There's no room at the end for you to come inside. And I'm way too busy now, and it's much too late. If you'd been here earlier, maybe I could let you stay. You're only looking for a place to be born into life. Where your power can heal and your love can revive And I don't know why you chose to be born into me And it's hard to believe and receive and let you in Cause I got a heart like Bethlehem Well there you are and welcome back to Redemption's Table It's good to be back for a couple of Advent episodes right here before Christmas Before we get started, I want to say thank you again to my singer-songwriter friend, Ross King. That was his 2022 remix of his song, Bethlehem. Such a good song. I love that line, I keep my dirty barns behind my nice hotels. I encourage you to check out Ross's songs on whatever streaming platform you happen to listen to music. Ross King, and the song is Bethlehem. Back in September and October, I spent about three weeks in Northern California. I loved to hike, and I was out there to spend some time among the most incredible trees in the world, the giant sequoia in Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Parks, and the mighty redwood in Redwood National Park and State Parks. In between checking out all the tall, tall trees, I spent two days at Point Reyes National Seashore. There were two things I did not know about Point Reyes until I visited. Number one, it is the windiest place on the whole Pacific coast. And number two, it is the second foggiest place on the North American continent. So I was not quite mentally prepared for the wildness of the place. When I first got there, I drove out to the point, arrived about an hour before sunset on Friday afternoon. The parking lot was enshrouded with fog. I thought so much for seeing the sunset, but I got out of my car anyway, made the half-mile hike to the top of the point, and as soon as I got to the top, the fog broke, leaving a clear view of the lighthouse below and the sun, and for the next hour, I watched the sun go down over the Pacific with a strong, cold, 40-mile-per-hour wind blowing inland off the water. The next day, I rose early, drove back out to the point to spend most of the day there, For on Saturday, they open up the lighthouse so you can view the inside of the lighthouse, the Fresno lens. And I knew that I was going to be out there all day. I had a long time to wait. Wasn't quite sure what I would be doing all that time. But I did bring my binoculars. For I knew that whale watching was a possibility, but only if conditions were right. Now, I'm learning to move slow enough to pay attention to what other people are paying attention to. For example, on my way back up to the point that morning, I came upon five to six excited individuals with binoculars going every which way, and I quickly realized these were birders. So I pulled out my binoculars and jumped right in. However, I'm not a birder, and so I would ask, what are we looking for? What are we looking at? And I leaned on their knowledge and added a few birds to my list. Then when I made it down the 313 steps to the lighthouse, I noticed an older gentleman with a huge camera, and I listened to him, and he was spotting whales. His name was Joey. 
He'd been a wildlife photographer on well watch expeditions for many years, and he said it was the perfect day for spotting whales. The sea was calm, there was no fog, and by leaning on his expertise, I quickly learned what to look for. And I saw dozens of spouts, quite a few fins, two to three flukes, that's whale tails, and oh, one half breach. I was so enthralled. I forgot to put on sunscreen, didn't bring my hat because of the 40 mile per hour winds the night before, but it was a phenomenal day that I did not anticipate, nor will I ever forget. Now, during Advent, a lot of churches light one of four candles leading up to December 25th. Each candle represents a theme surrounding the birth of Jesus. The first candle is hope, second, love. The last candle is peace, but the third candle, it's usually the joy candle. Joy is my favorite kind of ambush. I was reading a book this summer by Timothy D. Willard, The Beauty Chasers, and he referenced how C.S. Lewis, writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, he would describe seeing God at work in our world as patches of Godlight. Willard wrote, chasing patches of Godlight will fill us with anticipation, which will then be our constant posture and perspective. When you and I view our journeys as adventures, chasing beauty on a daily basis, our perspectives will inevitably shift. Our eyes will look past the profane and the cynical. We'll live preoccupied with scanning relationships and daily experiences, looking for Godlight. Our hearts will stand at attention, waiting for arrows of joy. Arrows of joy. That phrase stuck. Usually when we think of arrows, we think of wounds. Think of an arrow as a weapon that causes pain. C.S. Lewis and Willard flip a negative into a positive and encourage us to constantly scan for joy, look for them as arrows of joy, as patches of godlight piercing through our present darkness. I like that a lot. That's a great perspective to hold on to. Now, every time I speak of joy, I sense the need to differentiate between joy and happiness. I mean, the good old U.S. of A., our current culture, is big on happiness. It's right there in the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. But joy and happiness are not synonymous, at least not in the way we have come to use those words. Happiness is often shallow. Joy is much deeper. Happiness often stuffs our selfishness. Joy nourishes our soul. Happiness writes our version of our story. Joy writes God's version of our story. Happiness ends in itself and it doesn't last. But joy ends in praise and awe and worship and it just grows and grows. Back to that phrase, arrows of joy. I don't know about you, but that is almost the perfect description of what happens whenever joy strikes me. It often comes with surprise through something totally unanticipated or imagined. It overwhelms me. It feeds my spirit, my soul for days, and it brings inner peace with it as well. My times of worship after an onslaught of joy are consumed with gratitude, kind of like the lyrics of that Mercy Me song, I find myself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, it's okay. 
And that's the perfect introduction to the first person to be struck by the first advent as recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. His name was Zechariah, and he was a priest in the temple. And this is actually the pre-Christmas story. And in Luke 1, beginning with verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. As Zechariah's joy ambush unfolds, Luke tells us he was chosen by lot. There were 24 divisions, 24 groups of priests at the time. It was estimated that there were 20,000 priests in Palestine. If divided evenly, each division had over 800 priests. Each of the 24 divisions served the temple twice a year, from one Sabbath to the next. And in addition, all the priests served the temple during Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And because of the overage of priests, Each priest worked five to six weeks out of the year and had 46 weeks of vacation, tourist study, working a side hustle, etc. So it came time for Zechariah's division to serve. Each time a division served, they would draw lots to see which priest would have the privilege of serving at the golden altar, the place of prayer. And lo and behold, Zechariah won the equivalent of the lottery. It was his turn for this once-in-a-lifetime, if ever, privilege. The greatest privilege for an ordinary priest would have been that of burning incense on the altar in the holy place before the Holy of Holies. Zechariah won. Imagine how he felt. I mean, how would you feel if you had only one chance in life to do the thing you were called to do, you were created to do, and that you loved to do the most? Luke goes on to say, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Three hours of prayer were held at the temple every day. Incense was offered at the first hour and the third hour. And each hour, each time incense was offered, a burnt offering of a male lamb, one year old, without spot or blemish, was given together with the meat offering of flour and oil and a drink offering of wine. When the time came, Zechariah ascended the steps leading to the holy place. The other priests prepared the coals on the golden altar, they arranged the incense, and then they left Zechariah alone before God to await the signal to burn the incense. Meanwhile, all the people are outside in their separate courts in, in the temple waiting in prayer. Zechariah had been preparing for this moment all his life. He knew the portion of the book of Moses that told him what to do in this moment. He knew it by heart. He was up in age a little bit. He probably had three possible lifelong hopes, and he probably thought at least one of them was finally coming true. Elizabeth and I are probably not going to be parents. Looks like the Messiah He's not coming in my lifetime, but hey, I get to finally burn the incense on the altar. 
And then in verse 11 of Luke 1, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, what angels always say to individuals that they encounter like this, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. (laughs) Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Then at that moment, I mean, mm, wait a minute. Possibly Zechariah thought, do we have to be doing this now? (laughs) This is not in the instruction manual. Is this normal? Does this happen to every priest? Only you're not allowed to talk about it? Kind of like fight club? You know, what happens in the temple stays in the temple. You're not allowed to speak about it until after you've had this initiation. The angel says, do not be afraid. He goes on to say, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, Zechariah, and you are to give him the name John. Well, that's good news. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And then he goes on to tell him that this baby that he and Elizabeth will have will be the forerunner to the Messiah. Zechariah, arrows upon arrows of joy are already in the air and about to pepper your life for the rest of your days. What do you think of that? Verse 18, Zechariah says exactly what he thinks of this. He says, how can I be sure of this? Uh, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Uh, How can I be sure of this? I think at this moment, the angel Gabriel, he goes all Denzel Washington on Zechariah. Because of the response, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. You want to know how you can be sure? I'll give you a sign. You want a sign? God kind of hinted you were going to be this way. Okay, buddy. You're not going to say a word. Zip. Not a Suddenly, Zechariah found himself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, he couldn't say why to anybody. Imagine being struck with over nine months of silent, effervescent joy. Verses after he came out of the temple and he was unable to speak. After then, he went home and he and his wife became pregnant. His wife became pregnant. You know, for those nine months, his wife Elizabeth had to be loving that. (laughs) And here's Zechariah. He has a story inside of him so good, and yet he can't tell it yet with his own voice because he's living the sign he unwittingly asked for as the goodness of God could have knocked him over with a feather, an arrow feather at that. I would have loved to have been in that household during those nine months just to watch Zechariah's silent wonder. That, my friend, is the nature of joy. 
And if you go on to read the rest of the Christmas account in Luke and Matthew, you will see this kind of effect over and over again. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus, you will find this kind of joy almost everywhere Jesus went. The only reason you don't see it everywhere is some chose not to surrender to it. Funny how that is. You see the same reactions today. Clinging to self, trying to satisfy your great hunger with a diet of Happy Meals. When it is joy, the joy of God, the joy of Jesus, that his joy alone that would feed your heart and your soul. Joy feeds our souls, but there's even more. That's not where God intends the gift to stop. We are not the final bullseye. For in the same way we have received, we are to give. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it talks about how joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of the quickest ways I can think of to grow this particular fruit of the Holy Spirit, of the joy of Jesus in our lives, is to grow from receiving arrows of joy into becoming archers of joy. Becoming an archer of joy is in the same category as becoming a fisher of men. The goal is the same, to unleash God's love, God's truth into situations of extreme need, to participate in divine rescue missions. John 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples the night before he died, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. And I have to say, really? Until that point, they've been with him for three years. He says, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Many of us have had a rough year or two since 2020. Something happened the last few months of 2020 as I was rolling into Christmas that I can only partially share. Some of God's special missions remain cloaked in secrecy for good reason. It's part of the wonder and the mystery of Christmas. But I was led in one of God's covert missions during that time, according to the way God wanted it done, that required about six to seven weeks to plan and accomplish. And I remember the day it all came together. God had given a plan. I followed him into his wonderful assault of good news. I remember the day the arrow was launched, it hit the bullseye, and even though it was secret, God sent back an impact report, a God wink, as I like to call it. That day was the best day of my Christmas season that year. I was reminded then, all over again, of the nature of the Christmas gift of joy, and all the other Christmas gifts as well, but especially joy, I think. And it is this, you can't give it away. You can't give joy away without more joy pouring back on you. It's like playing tag with God in a batter circle or a refrigerator box. You can't escape. And you have more joy growing in you after you give joy away than when you started. I dare you this Christmas to try to run out of joy. You won't. And it can all begin with a prayer in Jesus' name. Jesus, where is there an extreme need? Where do you want me to unleash your arrows of joy and love and peace and hope this Christmas? And get ready, because that's a prayer God would be honored and glorified to answer. Thanks for coming to the table today. 
I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And as we're on our way out, let's give a listen one more time to Ross King's Bethlehem. Until next time. Bethlehem, and I hide it well. I keep my dirty barns behind my nice hotels. And you see my great facade, and you're not impressed. You tell your story in the manger of my weaknesses. You're only looking for a place to be born into life. Where your power can heal and your love can revive And I don't know why you chose to be born into me And it's hard to believe and receive and let you in Cause I got a heart like Bethlehem Nobody knew us And now when they hear our name They think of Jesus That little town of Bethlehem It died that night and was born again So when you're looking for a place To be born into life Where your power can heal and your love can revive And I don't know why you choose To be born into me And it's hard to believe And receive And let you in I'll let you in Cause I got a heart like Bethlehem